Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face to face. I'm your host, Sean McCraney, and I'm sitting here with Ricky. Ricky is seven years old. He is wearing an excellent shirt. Ricky, tell me, where, what city do you live in? Mount Pleasant. Mount Pleasant. And he, I just learned really exciting news at our upcoming Burning Heart Open Water Baptism and Statewide Communion. Ricky, his mom, and dad are all going to be baptized there. So that is so exciting. Are you looking forward to that? <laughs> Me too. Now, now, let's try to get you to stand up on this chair really quickly. Ah! Stand up! <laughs> Ricky! <laughs> Look at that shirt. It says, Faith makes everything possible. Uh, not easy. Not easy. Excellent shirt. Let me help you down. Reminds me of me when I was younger. There you go. And you go on over to your mom and dad, Ricky. Thanks for being on the program. We praise the true and living God for allowing us to participate in his ministry. May he be with you and us tonight. First of all, Friday nights, 8 p.m., right here on TV 20, Bishop Earl Erskine. He goes through and he interviews people who were once LDS and are now born-again Christians. It's an excellent show, the name of it, The X-Files. 8 o'clock, 8 to 8.30, Friday nights. If you want to be interviewed, email Bishop Earl. Go to www.xmormonfiles.com. Right, Bishop Earl? .tv, xmormonfiles.tv. Sometimes you get blocks and things and that, anyway, it's a great show. Check it out. Second of all, Sundays we hold Church Deconstructed every week, 10 a.m. milk, 2.30 p.m. meet. Uh, go to www.campus.com. Campus has hyphens in between for more information. AM820, The Truth Replays Heart of the Matter, also on Sundays from 1 to 2 p.m. AM820 is a great uh, television station. Just to let you know, uh, there is going to be happening in uh, Utah Valley a thing called Christ's Christ Life, Christ Life Conference, and it's going to be a, a great conference. The schedule is Friday, August 24th, Saturday, August 25th, Sunday, August 26th at Provo Baptist Church. Provo Baptist Church, I think it's going to be, uh, for some, a game changer. Uh, a, a, Pastor uh, uh, Neil Pafford is a great teacher of the word, and he's going to have a guest speaker there, Frank Friedman. But we're going to give you some graphics on that in the next coming weeks. I just got this in the mail, so we'll tell you about it. Also, just to let you know, uh, for one night, every technology possible and means of distribution is going to be used for one purpose, preaching the gospel. How? Through Greg Laurie, he's a, he's a great expositor of the gospel. There's going to be live gatherings in churches, small groups, live broadcasts on radio, TV, online, live streaming, mobile devices around the nation, probably parts of the world as well, where Greg Laurie uh, of Harvest Crusade is going to be uh, sharing as a gifted evangelist. Now listen, here's the thing. KTMW TV 20 is, is worked it out. They're going to be one of the only television stations in the nation that are going to bring this to you live. So you want to check it out. It's going to be uh, on Channel 20 here, uh, two-hour live telecast, August 26, 2012, 5 p.m. 
Two hours live, join the rest of the nation as Greg Laurie uh, preaches and he calls people out, gather people, friends, your neighbors in your homes to hear Greg Laurie preach. He's going to give an invitation to accept Christ and we hope that you'll take advantage of what AM, uh, TV20 is doing on behalf of this nationwide outreach. Uh, again, that is August 26, 2012, 5 p.m., two, uh, two hour live telecast and I think it will be worth watching. Okay, and finally, this is uh, important to us, and that is in September, September 1st, we're having our first annual burning, our first, our seventh annual Burning Heart uh, Festival, and uh, there's going to be lots of food, fun, bounce houses, face painting, products galore, uh, and uh, we also are going to have our first annual statewide uh, communion uh, service. After we do that together, we will go to River's Edge and do our annual open uh, water baptisms. That's Saturday, September 1st, Murray uh, Park Amphitheater from 3 to 9 p.m. Join us. Summer is headed to an end and we find ourselves at the end of our summer sales extravaganza. What do you get that normally would cost you 100 clams, 100 musty clams? You will get a DVD of 17 songs of the Word of God put to good music. I think you'll like this DVD. I mean this uh, CD. Check it out. Then we also have, uh, I was a born-again Mormon, the book that started it all. And then we have the book, If My Kingdom Were of This World, Then My Servants Would Fight, very relative to today's uh, current political situation. We have a Mormon president, a DVD, a docudrama that talks about Mormon presidents, Joseph Smith running for the White House, etc. And we have our most recent book, Where Mormonism Meets Biblical Christianity Face-to-Face, -face, an A to Z doctrinal comparative, 647 pages illustrated by moi and uh, and uh, you can get all of those for fifty dollars and if you do if you order i've been i've been telling you this you get one of your very own targets to make sure your car is damaged you have a someone choose you off to a fight in a public place they're great they're great for your popularity uh joseph's myth Bump Air, Stick Air, also available at Burning Heart to the first 500 families to come through the doors. Uh, so all of that available, go to www.hotm.tv for more information like how to get the stuff. As an FYI, my sister Phyllis forwarded this to me from the August 13th Salt Lake City Tribune. In a rare but hardly unprecedented move, the LDS Church has canceled all of their three-hour Sunday block meetings in Utah on September 23rd so that members can view the temple dedication services for the Brigham City Temple that was just opened today. This is the thing that caught Phyllis's attention and mine. It says in the article, quote, only those age eight and older who have been issued a recommend attesting to their worthiness can watch the dedication, either in person at the temple in Brigham City or via satellite feed to numerous LDS stake centers around the state. It's insane. Only people who are found worthy enough to watch something being shown on a screen who are eight years of age and older are allowed to go in and witness. When are, when are the LDS gonna stop agreeing to this ballyhoo? I mean, it really, Worthy. Anybody? Is anybody ever worthy? Especially 8, 10, 12, 15, 16, 
20, 30, 40, 90 year olds? No, it's such a joke, you know? When are you guys gonna rise up and say, come on, just let's stop all this pretend, pretending, you know? Unbelievable. A good friend, RJR, told me about something that Sandra Tanner shared with him from Utah Lighthouse Ministry, and I just thought it was an outstanding insight, and it came from a speech that she gave in October uh, on Mormon testimony. In her speech, Sister Tanner points out that LDS people often revert to their testimony of the church being true. They look at you, I just want you to know I know the church is true. And she cites Doctrine and Covenants, section 9, verse 8, which explains to Mormons how they can know something is true or not. It says, Joseph Smith wrote that God said, Behold, I say unto you that you must study it out in your mind, then you must ask me if it be right. And if it is right, I will cause that your bosom shall burn within you. Therefore, listen to this, you shall feel that it is right. I wonder if old Greg Peterson down in Happy Valley used that system. Uh, anyway, you're, you'll catch up on that later. Anyway, she cited a passage from the Book of Mormon that the LDS missionaries use as well. What they'll do is they'll give investigators the Book of Mormon, they'll turn to Moroni 10, and in Moroni 10 it says, as you read this book, ask God the Eternal Father in the name of Christ if these things are not true. And if you shall ask with a sincere heart, with real intent, Having faith in Christ, he will manifest the truth of it unto you by the power of the Holy Ghost. And what that means is he will manifest the truth of it to you through the burning of your bosom that you say, ah, I feel that it's true. Sandra points out, this sets up the investigator to either affirm what the missionaries have said or be labeled as one who did not pray with real intent. You see how the system works? They, the, the, it says you need to pray that it's true and pray with real intent. And if you do, you'll know. But if you don't know, you don't get those feelings, it's on you that you didn't pray with real intent. Sandra Tanner says from her own experience, when Mormons ask me if I read and pray about the Book of Mormon, I tell them yes, and God showed me it wasn't true. But somehow, she says, their testimony is always the valid one and mine is false. If you don't get their answer, you obviously didn't pray with real intent. For Christians, she adds, it all comes down to comparing the doctrine of anyone who claims to speak for God with the doctrine of the Bible. Amen, Sister Tanner. But later in the excellent speech, which is available at www.mrm.org, she retells a story about an LDS woman who was dating a man, and the man had a lot of questions. He wasn't, he wasn't Mormon, and so the LDS woman says, I can set you up with a, an interview with an LDS apostle, and, the, and so she writes, uh, he agreed, and later met with LDS apostle Spencer W. Kimball. Kimball brushed aside the young man's questions and instructed him that if he really wanted a testimony regarding Mormonism, he need only follow three simple steps. Here they are. You must want to believe that Mormonism is true. There's the first step. Second, you must pray to know that the church is true. And third, you must only read LDS books and materials. Those are the three steps and Kimball assured him this never fails to produce in somebody a testimony. 
And it brings me to the point that Sander makes that was so insightful. This method would probably work to convince anybody of almost anything that something's true if you followed it. I mean, think about Pol Pot in Cambodia, you know, communist Cambo Cambodia. Just imagine Pol Pot using those things. Like, first, to know that Pol Pot is true, you must believe Pol Pot true. You must first believe Pol Pot true. Second, you must pray to Pol Pot God that Pol Pot is true. You pray to Pol Pot God and Pol Pot God say, he is true and good. You must read only Pol Pot book. Read Pol Pot book. Pray to Pol Pot God. Believe and believe that Pol Pot true and you will know Pol Pot true. Do you understand how it works? I mean, you can do it with anything, anything, and you're going to believe it's true. How about, hey, here's an idea. You go in and you say, I'm not sure if this is true. You read books that are not from the people trying to get you to buy into their program. You pray to a real true and living God, not the one that they say, and you say, look, this is what they're telling. How about some openness here instead of this confined thing? In case you were wondering, Sandra Tanner did not do the Pol Pot impression in her speech. All right. With that, how about a moment from the word? We're still in the Gospel of John, chapter 12, where John has been quoting from Isaiah about those who do not see and hear or believe. And he comes to verse 42, 43, and John writes, Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also, many believed on him, Jesus. Many chief rulers believed on Jesus, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praises of man more than the praises of God. The last line of that passage tonight brings me to something important relative to the Mormon Christian debate. Uh, really, all showmanship aside, if we were to really draw a line between, you know, the LDS faithful and the Christian faithful, uh, I would say that the LDS love the praises of men more than the praises of God. What makes me say such a rude thing? First of all, 40 years in the LDS church, knowing their doctrine and the ambitions that they have to motivate themselves to become gods, etc. Show me a true Latter-day Saint and I will show you someone who loves the praise and the accolades of men. Then show me a true Christian and I will show you someone who does not like the accolades of men, who likes to resist any type of compliments, etc. Man-made organizations always end up praising men in the organizations because that's what it's founded upon, men. But true, adoring Christians praise, reserve their praise only for God, only for the true and living God. Not surprisingly, the praise of man comes with the territory of being uh, LDS, and it is not more prevalent in any place than at the very top. At the very top, this is where the members down low get the idea that it's okay because the very top love the praises. In a re recent LDS Church News article, this was sent to me by Danny, my friend Danny, it has an article on page two of this, and this is what the article is headlined. It says, President Monson's birthday celebration. 
On Friday, August 17th at 8 p.m., thousands of people will gather in the conference center to participate in Golden Days, a celebration of life honoring the 85th president, Thomas Monson. The Mormon Tabernacle Choir, Orchestra at Temple Square, singer and actor, Dallin Vale, someone renowned tenor, this person, the singer and actress, this person, Broadway selections and other favorites will be played. Steve Young is hosting it. All 21,000 tickets have been distributed for the program. 21,000 tickets to come and celebrate this guy's birthday. His birthday. In the Bible, there are two birthdays. One deserving recognition, Jesus Christ. And the Lord put a star up there when his son was born. And the second birthday was Herod's. And that's when John the Baptist lost his head because he loved the glory of men as well. Uh, let me tell you something. From birthdays to worldly achievements to funerals, the LDS, especially at the top, constantly appeal to the praises of men. Think about this. Latter-day Saints believe that Thomas Monson speaks to Jesus face-to-face -face as Moses spoke with God face-to-face, -face, that he has conversations with him. Can you imagine Monson saying, hey, Lord, going to have a birthday party coming up pretty soon. No kidding, Thomas. Yeah, my 85th. Gonna have 21,000 people though celebrating me. Can you believe it? That this, they think he talks to God and that he would actually, in that communication, feel it would be okay to then have a party to celebrate his birth that he had nothing to do with birthdays. Let me tell you, they are for children who have yet to come to understand who God is, the celebrations. Really, I really believe that. And, and yet we have uh, uh, a guy who supposedly talks with God celebrating it. We have apostles who supposedly represent the uh, apostles of Jesus Christ who engage in this stuff. Repent, Monson. Repent, Holland. Repent, Iring. You do not speak with, nor are you speaking for the Lord. Just the opposite. And with that, let's have a word of prayer. Father God, forgive me for where I fail, Lord but I put my faith and trust in you completely for salvation and for everything that goes on in uh, this world. Our faith and our trust is upon you and you alone and we worship you and we thank you. And we pray that you will be with our volunteers and staff, with the suffering, with our audience members, wherever they may be, Lord. Uh, we love you and thank you for life and for the uh, gift of your son. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, we are going to continue on in studying the uh, contents of the Book of Mormon. And tonight we're going to con uh, look at some of the kind of laughable, sophomoric attempts Joseph Smith made in his Book of Mormon to outdo the Bible. You see, Joseph's Book of Mormon outdoes the Bible in many areas. And a man named M.T. Lamb in a book called The Golden Bible, which I highly recommend, available at utlm.org, um, in his book, he points out that uh, Joseph made the Book of Mormon more impressive than the Bible in order to outdo the Bible in many ways. He would take biblical topics and themes and inject them with literary steroids to make his version far more marvelous and miraculous than the Lord's Bible. Says Lamb, quote, almost every page is filled with strange visions, with astounding miracles, with Bible incidents worked over and embellished and enlarged, with accounts of remarkable conversions, with revelations imitating those of the Apostle John on the Isle of Patmos, with men almost eclipsing the Lord Jesus Christ 
in their marvelous powers. Smith accomplished this in a number of ways, some of them amusing. Let's see if we can name some of them tonight before we go to the phones. First of all, the people of the Book of Mormon organized Christian churches where baptism by immersion was occurring. They had the blessings of New Testament spiritual gifts, including speaking in tongues, prophesying, performing miracles. None of that may be a big deal to you, except all of that was present in the Book of Mormon teachings a hundred years before Jesus was born. He outdid the Christian church by having the Christian church exist a hundred years before Christ was born. That's one way that he outdid the Bible. Then, after Jesus ascends to the Father in the New Testament, he actually makes a visit over in the Americas where he stays for 40 days, he preaches, did miracles, and then he ordains 12 apostles here in the Americas. So the Book of Mormon has 12 of his own apostles that are made here to, to compete and compare with the Bible. So he, he ordained 12 apostles in Palestine, and then he ordained 12 here in America, gives us a total of 24. In time, the whole Book of Mormon land is converted after Jesus comes here, and for 200 years, the whole land is in peace. It's like a millennial reign here. For 200 years, they're all in complete peace. All the wars and everything is gone because, uh, and, but you have to say, well, is that that big of a deal? It is because what happened when the Lord ascended into heaven in Palestine? Everything became undone. There became wars and there became all kinds of things. So you got to compare and contrast what is happening. Of course, as we've pointed out, Smith uh, outdid the Bible in verbosity. Uh, and it wasn't just verbosity, it was horrible verbosity. One of the sure signs of inspired scripture is uh, aphoristic uh, gems of inspiration in Holy Writ. It is clean, it is clear, and even though if it's in King's English and some of the uh, uh, translations are difficult, the thoughts are very clear. Uh, for example, in the Bible, Matthew describes Jesus blessing the little children in three verses. Joseph takes a full page to cover the same thing that Jesus does supposedly here in the Americas. Paul's conversion story, perhaps the most important conversion story uh, or, uh, uh, in the Bible, if there's not one that's more important than another, uh, is recorded in 18 verses in the Bible. Uh, in the Book of Mormon, Joseph uses two full pages to cover uh, Alma's uh, conversion and six pages to cover the conversion of a guy named King Lamoni. It's just fluff. It's non-inspired uh, amateur fluff. In 20 verses, Paul presents amazing insights on uh, the vineyard and the olive tree, uh, but Joseph Smith takes eight full pages to supply us with this incomprehensible babbling called the parable of the olive tree. If anyone can understand that thing, I mean, you deserve a PhD. Uh, in example after example, Joseph, unable to deliver brief aphoristic gems of truth uh, by the Holy Spirit, he would overcompensate by outdoing the Bible's quality with the Book of Mormon's quantity. So let me give you an example. This is a single sentence in the Book of Mormon. It's a single sentence. You ready? Here we go. Try to hang with me. And behold, this is the thing which I give unto you for a sign, for verily I say unto you, that when these things which I declare unto you, and which I shall declare unto you hereafter of myself, and by the power of the Holy Ghost, 
which shall be given unto you of the Father shall be made known unto the Gentiles, that they may know concerning this people, who are a remnant of the house of Jacob, and concerning this my people, who shall be scattered by them. Verily, verily, I say unto you, when these things shall be made known unto them of the Father, and shall come forth of the Father from them unto you, for it is wisdom of the Father that they should be established in this land and be set up as a free people by the power of the Father, that these things might come forth from unto them from a remnant of your seed, that the covenant of the Father may be fulfilled, which he has covenanted with his people, O house of Israel. Wherefore, when these works and the works which shall be wrought among you hereafter shall come forth from the Gentiles unto your seed, which shall dwindle in unbelief because of iniquity. For thus it behooveth the Father that it should come forth from the Gentiles, that he may show forth his power unto the Gentiles, for this cause, that the Gentiles, if they would not harden their hearts, that they may repent and come unto me, and be baptized in my name, and know of the true points of my doctrine, that they may be numbered among my people, O house of Israel. And when these things come to pass, that thy seed shall begin to know these things, it shall be a sign unto them that they may know that the work of the Father hath already commenced unto the fulfilling of the covenant which has been made unto the people who are the house of Israel. Period. Oxygen! You've got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. And they call that inspired? I, it's, it's just unbelievable when your eyes open to the truth that this type of stuff's there. Okay, from the New Testament part of the Book of Mormon, listen to how Joseph's Book of Mormon has Jesus speak when he comes to the Americas. Now, before reading this really quickly, let me remind you, there's a restorationist movement afoot, and restorationists who were alive at the time of Joseph Smith believed that the true church had to be in the name of Christ. That was uh, set up by Alexander Campbell well before Joseph Smith was even born. And so this was a theory and a thought that was out there. The true church has to be in the name of Christ. So Joseph, of course, covers it in his Book of Mormon. This is what he has Jesus say. Listen. And Jesus again showed himself unto them, for they were praying unto the Father in his name. And Jesus came and stood in the midst of them and said unto them, What will ye that I should give unto you? And they said unto him, We will that thou wouldest tell us the name whereby we shall call this church. For there are disputations among the people concerning this matter. The Lord said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Why is it the people should murmur and dispute because of this thing? Have they not read the scriptures, which say you must take upon you the name of Christ, which is my name? Okay, first of all, his name was not Christ. I doubt he ever called himself Christ. Christos maybe in the Greek, Messiah, but it wasn't his last name. That was a title. His name was Yeshua, Joshua. His name is Jesus. And yet here he says that you should name of Christ, which is my name. Unbelievable. And it goes on. For by this name you shall be called at the last day, and whosoever taketh upon him my name and endureth to the end, the same shall be saved at the last day. Wherefore, whatsoever ye shall do, you should do it in my name. Therefore, ye shall call the church in my name, and ye shall call upon the Father in my name, and he will bless the church for my sake. And how be it in my church, save it be called in my name. And then we find out that Joseph did not call his church in his name until after four or five tries. So we have all of this culminating forward. Let me uh, continue on quickly. There are Book of Mormon miracles. 
says M.T. Lamb, quote, the Bible bears no comparison to the Book of Mormon, either in the number of its miracles or in their strange, unnatural, super miraculous character. Um, we've already told you about the animal skin submarines that Joseph concocted that were lighted by rocks inside. Uh, also in the Book of Mormon, God makes meat uh, from animals sweet so that the Nephites, when they kill animals while they're traveling, don't have to cook it. Why does God do this according to the Book of Mormon? Because he'll help them out that they don't have to build fires. That's really his reasoning. We've already talked about the miracles of the Liahona and how that worked, that brass ball that would uh, give miracles, uh, would give messages on the outside and then also had spindles that would point and it was found outside of the tent and all it was was just another uh, super miraculous idea Joseph had of having a rock and a hat. The Liahona was a religious icon that he included in the Book of Mormon. And, you know, the children of Israel, the way that they told things were two rocks. They, and, and, and they would cast lots for them, and they, those rocks would, would, would tell them what to do. Then there's 2,000 stripling warriors who, because their mothers taught them not to doubt, uh, was delivered by God. In fact, they were fighting ferocious, mohawked, skilled Lamanite Indians, and these 2,000 stripling warriors, none of them ever even fell to the earth. They were so protected by God. So Joseph Smith's 2,000 uh, stripling warriors outdo any Bible army, any time. And then another Book of Mormon character, Samuel the Lamanite, nobody could hit him with arrows or rocks thrown at him. He could stand there all day and you could be right, right next to him and throw, nope, nope, couldn't hit him. Uh, another, I mean, more powerful than the Batman. Okay, and then when Jesus was crucified in Jerusalem, the Bible tells us that while he was on the cross, Darkness covered the land for three hours. Book of Mormon, darkness covers the land three days, three whole days. When Jesus was on the cross in Jerusalem, there were earthquakes, there were rumblings, there was darkness for three hours, and when he died, guess what? Boom. It all stopped. Why? Because the Lord propitiated the earth, the world, to the Father. He paid for the sins of the world and it was done. And that is just, that's part of scripture that, that shows you the truthfulness of it. All of the stuff in it. But in the Book of Mormon, we have another scene. In Joseph's Book of Mormon, first after he dies, there were tempests and earthquakes swallowing up 16 major cities. Then immediately there were these mists of darkness that were so dark you couldn't light a match. They didn't have matches, but you couldn't rub two sticks. You couldn't light a fire. They were so vapors, were so heavy that even fire couldn't burn in them, okay? And then Jesus pops up in the middle of it after three days. And you know what Jesus says to them? Whoa, whoa, whoa unto the people. Oh, and the people say in terror, you know, and this is totally contrary to what the Bible message is. The people say, oh, that we had repented before this great and terrible day. Then would our mothers and our fair daughters and our children that uh, would have been spared and not buried up in that great city, Moron Iha. Okay, now you got to think about this. There were terrible earthquakes. There were mists of darkness. Nobody could see a thing. Everything's getting destroyed, three days of it, and when Jesus comes, everybody somehow knows that the fair daughters and mothers were buried in Moroniha. They somehow are aware of that, and they, they complain, oh, that we had repented because everybody's dead over in Moroniha. They, they wouldn't have any ability to do it. They couldn't even see their, their hand in front of their face. How could they know? 
It's stuff like that that proves the thing is a con, and yet people read through it and don't see it. A couple other things before we go to the phones. 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. First time callers, LDS callers please, and please turn your television sets down once the operators clear your calls. Joseph beats the Bible in a number of other ways. Noah built one ark. Jared in the Book of Mormon built eight animal barges to travel under the sea with glowing rocks. We've mentioned that several times because it is so ludicrous. Moses saw the back parts of the Lord. Uh, the brother of Jared spoke with him face to face. Moses was up on Sinai before coming down with his face aglow. Forty days it took and he came down with his face aglow. But uh, Joseph's Book of Mormon character, Abinadi, just preaching a sermon, it says, and his face shone with exceeding luster even as Moses did. The Book of Mormon character, Amenadi, saw writing on the wall that was far more intricate than Daniel's. Alma's death was made far more mysterious than Moses. And Daniel in the lion's den and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who walked through fire, was nothing compared to the 12 apostles uh, Jesus called in the Americas, who, quote, thrice were cast into a furnace and received no harm, thrice were cast into a den of wild beasts, and behold, they did play with the beast as a child plays with a suckling lamb. And when Jesus was born, Jerusalem, uh, God put a star in the sky. But when Jesus was born in the Americas, in the Book of Mormon, there was no night for uh, the, the, there was no night at all. It was light the entire time. They couldn't tell the difference between noonday and midnight. It was so bright. Always outdoing the Bible because he had to give something that would trumpet. What is the problem with this? That what is the biggest thing that Joseph Smith did? He took the words of Jesus that Jesus spoke when he was alive incarnate on this earth and he had a man named Nephi speak them hundreds of years before Jesus was even born. Here's the danger in that before we go to the phones. Suppose someone has never read the Bible and the missionaries give them a Book of Mormon and they read the Book of Mormon and they read these words of Jesus that are coming out of this Nephi prophet's mouth 300 years before Jesus is born, and then they pick up the Bible and they could do a, ah, been there, done that. You know, Book of Mormon is true. The Bible, this is kind of boring. That happens when people read certain types of literature. On the other hand, let's say that th they have read the Bible. They could say, this is really familiar to the Bible. Wow, this is the same verbiage. And of course, the missionaries say, well, it's the same author. And so, and, and so that convinces them. Any type of counterfeit to God's truth is a diabolical counterfeit because what it does is it leads people into things that are not true. This is what lies at the heart of the Book of uh, Mormon, deception that dilutes the power of God, the Word of God, and God Himself. So let's open up the phone lines as we said, 801-973. Keep calling. The lines are busy. Keep calling. We'll get to you in a second. Our ability to remain on the air is directly related to your ability uh, to support, and that is as God leads you. Uh, so please prayerfully consider the following message. Welcome back. We appreciate all of you, your prayers, and whatever you do as led of the Lord. Thank you very much. Uh, we have Greer in Spanish Fork, first time caller. Greer, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean, how are we doing? Good, how you doing, man? Good, hey, uh, I don't know if you remember me. You met with me a couple of weeks ago and gave me a copy of your book. Oh, how you been? Good, man, I'm doing really good. Um, I had a uh, quick question for you. Yeah. Um, in speaking with some family members, they stated uh, 
this whole uh, need for the priesthood, that Christ Church needs the priesthood, and that it can't function without it. Um, so their, their big claim is it had to be restored because of the apostasy, uh, you know, here in the, the latter days. Um, my question is for you, and I don't know if this has ever been brought up to you, um, we know that John, the Apostle John, asked the Savior to tarry um, or stay on the earth until he comes again. Um, and then also, I was under the impression that the third Nephite, the three Nephites asked the same thing, uh, to have that same blessing. Um, so, under the LDS doctrine, the apostles had the priesthood, this so-called priesthood, and needed it to do the work. And I would assume that the three Nephites had the same priesthood when they established the church with the Savior, uh, you know, in the Americas. So my question is to you, if that's the case, that they're living on the earth until a Savior comes again, wouldn't that mean that the priesthood never left the earth? Certainly would. It's a really good point. It certainly would. But the, probably uh, even more to the point when it comes to truth, uh, Greer, is the fact that their whole straw man idea of a priesthood is false. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And that's, that's the, so, and, and instead of just going to the Bible to prove it, you go to Grant Palmer's book, you go to anybody that shows how the restoration of the so-called priesthood occurred, and you, you can see that it was contrived. So, and, but the Bible, Hebrews, certainly proves that the priest, the high priest that we have to do with is Jesus Christ and not them. But your point is, well, if there was a priesthood on earth like they claim there be, you're right, the three Nephites would have had it, and so would have John the Beloved, who the LDS believe have never died. Mm -hmm. Good point, my friend. Uh -huh. Awesome. Yeah, that's the point I brought up. I was like, well, if they had the priesthood, then I guess it never left the earth. Therefore, there would be a need for a restoration. And what they say? They don't, like, they don't like that point. Yeah, I know. Everything I get is, oh, they, they were transfigured. Oh, tra oh. <laughs> it's just, it's yeah. insane, the, you know, the twistianity that, I mean, it's just, it's absolutely insane. I mean, I just want to keep encouraging you to keep doing what you're doing. You are helping people. Um, and I'm, I'm thankful for uh, you taking time out of your uh, schedule the other week to meet with me. I mean, please continue to do what you're doing because you're bringing people unto the Lord. Thanks, my brother. God bless you, my friend. I'll talk to you soon. Yep, same to you. God bless. Bye-bye. We're going to Kathleen in Salt Lake City. First-time caller. Kathleen, you're on Heart of the Matter. Thank you, pardon? You're on the air. Oh, oh, thank you. You're on the air, Kathleen. Okay. What happens when I say that? It, you are on with Sean McCraney. Go! Kathleen, you're on the air. So what do I do? <laughs> you talk to me. Okay, when he... Talk to me. Tell me what you want to know. Kathleen? Something else now. From... Is your TV on? It's going to take a minute for her to get that message. Kathleen, turn your TV off, or we're going to have to hang up on you. No, please don't. I, I want to talk to him. Okay, well, you've got to turn your TV down, Kathleen, or you're not going to be able to communicate with me. Uh, oh, yeah, I will. You got it? Yeah. All right, what's going on? You're on the air. Okay, my name is Kathleen. Yeah. Uh, I'm from Liverpool, England. Oh, hello. And I come to this country in 19... Oh, here we go. You come to this country in 19 what? Kathleen? Yes. 
Hello, sir. You're on the air, Kathleen. You've got to turn your TV set down. I've got to give you one more chance. Okay, I'll just turn it off. Thank you. They obey different rules in Liverpool, England. Yeah, I come to this uh, country in 1962. Yes. From Liverpool, England. Uh-huh. And uh, my parents are Irish, Roman Catholic. <laughs> uh-huh. And I'm Irish. Uh, well, I'm Irish, Roman Catholic, but I'm, I'm British. But when I first come to this country in 1962, I, I, I work in retail, but I wouldn't dare say I was Catholic because this state was so <laughs> Mormon. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it was scary. But um, now I have grandchildren who have been on Mormon missions. Uh, I feel uncomfortable around them because I'm still Catholic. <laughs> but um, my mother used to say, she said, you're better off living next door to... Um, A Mormon? Mormon, then to a hooligan. She meant like a gang member. But that's the only difference. <laughs> and um, I think Mormonism is terrible. Yeah. Well, it's really good to hear uh, your perspective, having lived here for so long and understanding what they're about. <laughs> oh, I didn't know it was so funny. Hey, listen, thank you for the call. God bless you, and you take care, okay? Okay, thank you very much. Okay, bye-bye. Huh. You know, uh, we're going to go to uh, uh, Casey in a second, but, you know, I turned on a Christian radio station today, and the news reported that the uh, GOP ticket, uh, it, it talked about the GOP ticket as if it represented God's ticket. I mean, uh, there was no balance, not one bit of thought given to the fact that not all Christians are happy with our choices, which at this point seem to be, one, a man who thinks that God is okay with abortion. That's our one choice. Two, a man who believes God was once a man and that Jesus is his brother. And three, a man who prays to Mary and believes that another man who wears a cap is infallible. Those are the guys running here, you know? And we're supposed to, and we, and we turn on uh, these, these uh, Christian, supposedly Christian radio programs I personally want nothing to do with any of these creepy solutions. Uh, go to the polls as a Christian, write Jesus' name in, and uh, say he's your king, and follow him. For some strange reason, these supposed men of God, leaders in the body, have somehow convinced themselves, and they want us to believe too, that being pro-choice is worse than worshiping a false god. They, they actually are delineating here on this. Now look at I am, I am not for abortion in the least. But somehow they are believing and trying to convince us that one is far more serious than the other. What is the first great commandment? The first great commandment is about God, loving God, having no other gods before him. And we have one who's running, who's representing the so-called choice party of Christians, who doesn't believe in the same God we believe in. We, uh, this is such interesting times. I mean, I'm kind of looking forward to be out in the, 
dust-blown street with nothing but a little rag around myself and seeing what happens. It is so crazy about what we're doing. So I had to get that off my chest before we go to uh, Casey and Provo. Casey, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean. Uh, I love your show. I watch it all the time. Thanks. And I have a quick question for you. I'm uh, uh, still on the Mormon books, but I have not considered myself a Mormon for a long time. My faith is Christianity. Okay. I don't agree with everything that you say, but... Um, You're I a wise woman. So. You think? Yeah. Okay, well, I, I appreciate that. Um, listen, uh, I do have one question for you. It's about uh, prayer lately. When you say your prayers, you, you address them to Father God. And I always have associated that with the Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh-huh. And it seems anti-Trinitarian to me. Uh-huh. So I really don't understand that. Uh, I've never really been involved with evangelicals. I don't know if that's an evangelical thing. But to me, it's, it seems more confusing than helpful. Um, well, the only reason I do it is because that's what Jesus did. He prayed to the Father. So I pray to the Father. I mean, I pray to Jesus, too. I'll say his name in my prayers. I'll say, Lord, in, there's one God. So I say, Lord, I'll say Holy Spirit in my prayers. But usually when I start off a prayer in a formal place or like on the show, I say, Father God, because that's what the Lord did. Uh, he prayed to his father, but he didn't specify him as a Father God and a Jehovah God and other things that the Jehovah's Witnesses do. So we, I didn't get it from the Jehovah's Witnesses, but what would you suggest I would begin my prayers with? I, you know, you can pray however you want, whatever is effective for you, I'm, and this is just purely my opinion. But the Jehovah's Witnesses, as far as I know, are not considered by most Christians to be Christian. Right. And that's something that they do. I see. So, well, I'll take that into consideration. I'll, I'll examine it and see. I, I, maybe I have something to improve on here. Well, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm just, I was just curious why you were doing that, or maybe is there something I don't know about evangelical I'm not an evangelical. I, I mean, I, I, I'm a Christian. I just pray what, you know, what I just kind of believe from Scripture. But if there's improvement to be made, so I often say, Lord, uh, uh, but, you know, how do you start your prayers? Lord. Lord? I don't, think, I don't think it matters that much, except that I'm worried that your audience, some of them may be confused by that. Okay. Well, at, at least on this show, we've cleared it up. Well, for whatever it's worth, and keep up the good work. Thanks, Casey. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. Carrie in South Jordan, she's LDS, first-time caller. Carrie, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean, it's Carrie. Hi. Um, I like your beanie. Um, hey, we, my husband and I are, um, my husband Rick left the church just this last year, and we've been to your show a couple of times and um, actually had the blessing of meeting with you and um, appreciate so much the work that you're doing. Uh, my question for you tonight is um, kind of a painful one because um, I um, we're having a hard time. We have a 12-year-old daughter and a 15-year-old son, and the LDS community is rallying around them and um, filling their minds full of some very hateful things. And... I just, it's so painful to have a friend who's been in our ward tell my 12-year-old daughter, um, if you ever need a real mom, give me a call. Oh. And um, then also just say things like, um, well, like Sunday, my 15-year-old my son came home and they only stay, now they only stay to take the sacrament and then they leave. 
um, the stake president saw my son walk off um, out of the church, and he got up and left the stand, met him out in the foyer, and said, I'd really like for you to come and bear your testimony and share what you believe. And um, my kids are having a difficult time making the shift in the first place. Um, we are still praying with them, and we read the New Testament with them, and we're, you know, living our lives the best that we can um, from this beautiful new space of being saved. And I wondered what your thoughts were on how do we earn our children's trust back, especially with the LDS community. They'll call them, they text them, they'll come over, they'll pull them to the side and say things. And our, our kids are scared in the first place, but then we have these underhanded things happening. And yet we're the ones who are being deceived, of course. Of course. Carrie, uh, first of all, I know as you're telling this that there are people praying for you, and I am so sorry. Um, I am sorry for the fact that uh, what you're experiencing, I experienced it too. Uh, they told my wife to leave me. They are a religion that claims family, 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 but the moment someone uh, takes off, the parents go, they do exactly what they're doing to your children. And that, that uh -huh. woman wants to become a real mother to your children. I know. Uh -huh. I, can't, uh, I cannot empathize with you more and, uh, or sympathize with you. Let me say this. You're not going to be able to uh, beat them at the game of blood and, and flesh against blood and flesh. You're, you're surrounded by them and their wily ways of, of deception. Uh, you know, you see how that stake president would treat your children if they looked him square in the face and said, you, re you represent a phony gospel stake president. They would see that man's uh, unconditional love wither away in a second. But here's the thing. This is my suggestion. Hey. You and your husband continue, pour out your life and heart to the Lord as you are, continue to search for him in your prayers and scripture, and support your children in whatever they want to do with love and kindness. Do not speak evil of these people and the evil they're doing. Return good for evil. And what will happen is your children in time will see the, the uh, sheep's uh, wool come off and the ravenous wolf's teeth poke through, but it's going to take time and it's going to take your love for them to look back and say, my mom and dad are the best people on earth. They're even better th uh, now that they're Christian than they were and to someday come back to it. Carrie, when it will happen, it could, be, it could be in a year, it could be in a month, it could be in 20. It's tough, but well, let me tell you something. Jesus himself said, Carrie, those who lose father, mother, son, or daughter for my sake, well, believe me, the blessings are there, and he will bring them through as you and your husband are faithful to him and his trusting in him. I promise you, but do it in love. Uh, if you get angry at these people, it only serves to make you look like the sinister one and make them look so good because they can be so nice uh, at these temporary moments. That is, thank you so much, son. I, that is so true. That, that really resonates. Good. And that's what we've tried to do, and we'll just continue in that. Good. And I'm sorry that, that you ever experienced or that anyone's experienced any of that. I know in the end I have faith that will just make us stronger in um, standing 
as witnesses of true Christianity. Amen. And um, I'm grateful for the blessing it's been in my life to truly be saved and know the simple beauty of just believing in Christ and the chance to be saved. I am saved and not having to do this enormous, burdensome list of things anymore. And I just, that's, I want so badly for my children to have that same liberating relief and be able to just experience God's love for them. They will, Carrie. And, they will. And I'm going to put out a call to all of our viewers, everybody in the audiences, pray for Carrie and her family. Pray that the bless Lord you. will... Heaven bless each of you. Thank you so much, Sean. Thank you, my sister. You hang in. You're in our prayers. Thank you so much, and you're in ours. Take care. Okay, God bless. Bye-bye. Do we have uh, Susie on three or no? We're going to Susie on three. Susie, uh, really quickly, my friend. Okay, I am just calling about the color that you just had with the teenage children. My kids were raised here in Utah, non-LDS. I was raised here in Utah, non-LDS. Myself and my kids were both raised to believe in Jesus, not in uh, mutual or the church or tithing or, and by the church, I mean the Mormon church. I don't mean the church. Yeah. I just mean the LDS religion, and I, I'm sorry I said that. No, it's okay. And the gal that, that called before me um, can know that her children will grow up to believe in Jesus, um, and they'll be stronger, and they will know that true Christians do not treat other people. Praise God. Thank you so much, Susie. That is so encouraging. Really appreciate that. Let me tell you something. We had another caller earlier. He mentioned that. Uh, I had gone to uh, Provo and met with him, and uh, the church is telling his wife to leave this man. They're telling him that he's a good guy. He's gainfully employed. He, he loves his wife. He's faithful to her. They're children. He's a good guy. They're saying, get rid of him. This is what they do. I'm not, I'm not making it up. It's what they do, because in Mormonism, Mormonism is first, not the family. They'll say it's the family, but when one of the spouses or both goes south, as they think, and they come out of Mormonism, the rest of it is just a loss, and they do anything they can to keep the remnants in Mormonism. That's how it works. I've been there. I've seen it. I've been part of it, and I've had them do it to me. We're going to Joseph. Uh, uh, it says line two. Somebody? No two? Joseph three? Joseph, is that you? It is. It is. I'm sorry. It's okay, you have a very high voice for a man named Joseph. Oh gosh, no, this is Susie. This is the person that oh. you, you lost my call. Oh, well, thank you for calling. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Susie. God bless you, and thanks for sharing that. You bet. And Christians don't treat other Christians in the manner that the LDS people treat their fellow man. You're right about that, my sister. Thanks so much. God bless. Okay, God bless. Bye-bye. Okay, uh, listen. Every now and again, people get mad at me because I call myself a donkey and, or a jackass, and they think that that's not appropriate. Uh, in Exodus 13, 13, the Lord says something really unusual. In the Old Testament, when something was a firstborn, that was dedicated to the Lord. And, but when it came to the birth of a donkey, uh, God said, 
but every first offspring of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. Every first offspring of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. But if you do not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. It's really interesting, huh? Old Testament, all the way back to Exodus 13, 13, innocent little uh, uh, donkey, newborn, first one, if it can't be redeemed by the blood of the lamb, its neck should be broken and killed. Why? Because it's a picture for us. We are all donkeys. We are all jackasses. And we all walk around bearing the burden of our own sin and filth. And unless we are redeemed by the blood of the lamb, that burden, because donkeys are beasts of burden, it will break its neck. It will crush it. And that is why Jesus says, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. That is what it's all about, my friends. So I'm not the only donkey out there. You are too. And uh, I don't mind calling you one. And we all are and realize that the Lord took our burden so that we wouldn't fall under the weight of it. Conclusion, Saturday, September 1st, 3 to 9 p.m., bounce houses, face painting, a statewide communion service for all believers, and afterward, an uh, open water baptism to anybody who wants to publicly confess their faith in the Lord God, King, ruler of our lives, even Jesus Christ, you know, he is there for you. If you watch this show secretly, like I know so many of you do, go to your closet, go to your car, call out to him and say, show me truth, Lord. I will want it to know it. I will do whatever it takes to have it. Show me truth. And he'll open your eyes if you're sincere. And then you can have the relation with him too. We'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter.